with chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. Since Halloween's almost here, our first story today is set on Halloween for this first of two consecutive Halloween-centric Tuesday night episodes. Well, that's fun. Yeah, happy to help get our creeps and peepers in the mood for the spookiest day of the year for many, the horror fanatic's favorite holiday. Okay, okay. Well, I also have a Halloween-themed story for my first story. Fantastic. Yes. Well, I I don't want to say halloween themed, just something that happened on Halloween. Perfect. That's great. And and that's what mine is as well. Okay, cool. Uh, First, a couple announcements, then our stories. Great. What do you got? BadMagicMerch.com continuing to promote the first annual Scared to Death live Haunted Halloween. Okay. True Tales of Hallow's Eve Horror. Uh Uh-huh. There's a bunch of awesome limited edition items that will no longer be for sale as of November 1st. Mm Mm-hmm. And they are, of, co- of course, associated with a live show, a Moment House digital experience happening Thursday, October 28th, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The stories we tell there will only be told there, and as of November 1st, they will disappear. You can rewatch them through Halloween until November 1st. What a fun night. Mm-hmm. A show about ghosts becoming a bit of a digital ghost after that. I love it. Uh, tickets to Scared to Death Live, Haunted Halloween, True Tales of Hallow's Eve Horror, available now at badmagicmerch.com. A uh, quick reminder that our October Bad Magic charity is Rain, mm-hmm. uh, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, America's largest anti-sexual violence organization, proud to donate $15,600 on behalf of our Robert and Annabelle patrons, in addition to the Space Lizard patrons over on TimeSuck. Woohoo! Good job, guys. Yeah, Rain's Thank awesome. You. Yeah, they've created, operate the uh, National Sexual Assault Hotline, 1-800-656-HOPE, among many other things. Go to Rain, R-A-I-N-N, dot org to learn more. And how many stories do you have for us today, Lindsay? Oh, you whipped through I those. I did. I'm so excited to get to uh, my first story. I was about to ask you how much coffee you had because you were going so fast. Oh, I know. Sometimes, you know, it's funny. I, I just think about like Halloween. People want to listen to get in the mood. Not that they don't want to get in the mood normally, but I think if I'm listening, it's like, give me that horror. I want to get in the mood. <laughs> mm. Okay. Let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> this is a different kind of show. If you've never been here before. Uh, <laughs> but, I do I'll, ha- but I'll slow down for the stories. Oh, I know. I was just teasing you. I just know that like we had a very productive morning. We mm-hmm. got up early. Boom. 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 Like got up, therapy, workout, stories, polished, dressed, ready. Go, go, go. Go, go, go. I know sometimes it's hard to like 
Mm-hmm. Um, I have two stories. I have one big story up top, and then I have one actually very brief story to close out. Okay. Because I know that you said you had slightly bigger stories I this do. week. So trying to give that balance. Because, like, listen, I know everyone wants the most amount of horror right mm-hmm. now. But also... You gotta pace it out. Yeah, and I don't want to, like, just shove extra stories in there for the sake of making a bigger episode. Yeah. Right? I want mm-hmm. good quality stories. Quality over quantity. You nailed it. Uh, I, I have two stories. I mentioned the first set on Halloween. Mm-hmm. A young man whose birthday happens to be Halloween has a birthday trip he would absolutely love to forget, but definitely never will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll probably want to forget about this as well, and will also not be able to. Oh, Okay. Hard to preview that story much more without spoiling it. It's uh, one of my favorite stories in in a little while. Oh, all right. Uh, Second story I'll be telling centers around a young girl's imaginary friend. This story is also super creepy. Uh, Turns out to be not so imaginary and also really not much of a friend. Mm Mm-hmm. So you ready to lose some sleep? Uh... Yes. I, I already had a hard time going to sleep as you were polishing up stories, working on them last night. Yeah. It was so funny. We were both like working across the table from one another. Mm-hmm. And you were like, so when are you going to go to bed? Because we were listening to like a happy mm-hmm. playlist. Like and, 80s summer hits. Which is a great playlist. Thank uh-huh. you, Spotify. Um, <laughs> but finally you were like, okay, you need to go or I need to put on my headphones. And then like I came back upstairs at some point and it's like, like all this like weird creepy ass music I was sitting completely in the dark just my monitor lunatic listening to loud like demonic music yeah and it definitely got me in a creepy mood yeah I live with a psychopath (laughs) All right, here's my socks now listen this is about as much sock as I can give you because I continue to wear the world's my dresses get shorter and shorter every week (laughs) good yeah but these are hysterical they are alien UFO socks which if you know anything about me you know one of my biggest fears. I love those. Those are great. I know they were probably meant for you, but I just took them. Any <laughs> socks that come in the studio, I just assume are for me. Yeah. I don't care if like they're not my I'd size. Wear. Okay. Well, you can have them when I'm done. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Let's do it. Uh, no setup at all on this first one. We're just going to dr- dive straight on in. Okay. Let's <clears> do it. <throat> Time now for the tale of the Halloween Others. Mitchell had always been on good terms with his parents. Distant terms, but good terms. Sure, they weren't like some families who vacationed together all the time, and his parents didn't live really close by, so they could drop in on a moment's notice. But Mitchell was okay with that. He didn't expect anything other than that. And actually, smothering always around parents sounded terrible. He liked his independence. So what if his parents, Bill and Lacey, had never been lovey-dovey types? When Mitchell was growing up, his dad's biggest display of affection was a pat on the shoulder, and Mitchell never remembered his mother tickling him or playing around with him on the floor when he was a toddler or a young child, and again, it really didn't bother him. He lived in Colorado, he didn't have any siblings, his parents lived back in Ohio, and they called once every couple of months. They saw each other once, maybe twice a year, or they might go a whole year without a visit. And always depending on what everyone was doing, there was never the expectation to get together. And all of this was fine with Mitchell. But it never sat well with whoever he was dating. Anytime a relationship got serious, his girlfriends would always inevitably ask him why he never went to visit his folks. He'd always tell them that he just wasn't that close to his parents. And then it also wasn't a big deal. They always found that weird. And then they'd pry. What happened? Something must have happened. Nothing happened, he'd say, shrugging. We just don't see each other that much. And his girlfriend would go on some spiel about how that didn't make any sense, how she just couldn't understand that. She'd go on about how much she loved her parents and her siblings and all of her extended family so much. She'd talk about how they all went on a cruise together every year, or they met up at some lake house, or at her grandma's house, whatever. On and on. And didn't Mitchell want that? No. He'd say, honestly, it's really fine. 
And then they wouldn't think his response was fine, and they just wouldn't drop it. They wouldn't believe him no matter how many times he told them he was fine, and every time so far, the relationship would start to disintegrate. I say all this to establish how atypical the following incident really was. A couple months before Mitchell's 28th birthday, he got a FaceTime call from his mom out of the blue. Mitchell was surprised. He was at work when she videoed in, and he quickly dismissed it. He wasn't allowed to take personal calls in his cubicle. But then because she never did this, he started to wonder if something was wrong. What if she'd been in an accident or had a medical emergency? What if something had happened to his dad? He went and ducked into the nearest restroom, a private restroom, the closest place to his desk with some privacy, and he called his mom back. And he placed a regular call, not FaceTime. How he wishes now he had FaceTimed her back. He wonders if he had, if maybe he would have seen something, been able to sense that something was off. Then maybe he could have hung up before it was too late. He could have closed the connection before some kind of evil reached out through it. He could have stayed farther away from them than ever before. He maybe would have never gone home again. He never would have had to pick up a call again, but that didn't happen. He called, and his mom picked up on the first ring. Hey, Mom, I'm at work now, but is everything okay? Is nothing wrong with Dad? He's not in the hospital or anything, right? His mother laughed. No, everything's fine. I was just checking in. She laughed again, and for some reason, it made Mitchell frown. It was a carefree, light, everything's all right, everything's always all right laugh, or at least it sounded like it was supposed to be. But it didn't quite hit the mark. That wasn't his mom's way. Not a big laugher. Never had been. He wondered if she was drunk or something, but his parents never drank, especially not in the middle of the day. Also strange that he couldn't tell where she was calling from. Usually he could hear the neighbor's lawnmower whirring in the background, or one of his dad's records, or a game on the TV, or he could hear the putter, her puttering around in the kitchen. But it sounded like she was talking from some sort of vacuum or void. No sounds at all in the background. Eerily still and quiet. Okay, he said slowly. Well, how's everything? Are you okay? We're fine, his mother said in a voice that did sound like his mom, but was again tonally off somehow, a bit too bubbly. Well, you know, your father is convinced he can redo the deck on his own, and it's a complete disaster in the yard, but other than that, we're fine. All right, Mitchell said. You just worried me because... His mother laughed again, a laugh that still bothered him, the sound crackling over the phone speakers. Would you relax? I just got the time difference mixed up. I've lived in Colorado for eight years. Mitchell said automatically and abruptly, then cringed at his harsh tone. But was he really overreacting? I mean, he had lived in Colorado for almost a decade, ever since he transferred in college. What was going on? I I'm sorry, he added quickly. You just freaked me out. I love you. I, I, I didn't mean to snap. Will it be nice to see you a little more, his mother now said. Maybe you wouldn't have so many miscommunications if you came home once in a while. I... Mitchell trailed off. He suddenly felt an overwhelming sense of guilt. Did his parents want him to come around more? They weren't bad people. Was it his fault? Were some of his exes right? Was he a terrible son? Maybe I could, uh, I could visit for my birthday, he ventured. I have some PTO that I could take. Oh, that'd be wonderful, his mom said. She sounded so loving and enthusiastic, and Mitchell didn't like that. She really wasn't a terrible mom, but this had never been her way. Uh, okay, Mitchell said. Okay, I I it's a done deal then. What? Mom? You just scared the shit out of me. Mom, is that you? Mom, what the hell is that? Are you okay? What are you talking about, Mitchell? I didn't hear anything. The line must have cut out for a moment, honey. 
Um, okay. Yeah, I guess so, said a very confused Mitchell. So strange, you felt like she was lying. Why would she lie about whatever the hell that was? And wasn't that her voice? And had she ever called him honey before? Everything about this felt odd and off. Maybe something had bled into the line from somewhere else, Mitchell thought. It was possible. Maybe he had too much coffee? His nerves suddenly felt fried and his brain felt raw, like everything was just a shade too bright. Maybe he was coming down with a migraine? I'll talk to you later, okay, Mom? I I gotta get back to work. They said their goodbyes and Mitchell stared at his screen phone for a beat. The little message that flashed call ended. When he looked up, he almost stepped back in surprise. It was just his own reflection in the mirror that caught his eye. And then something about his reflection caught his eye. He narrowed his eyes. And then something very strange happened. He thought that his reflection's eyes didn't quite narrow when his did. They moved just a tick slow, didn't they? To test this, he shut his eyes hard. Then when he popped them back open just for a millisecond, he was sure he saw his reflection's eyes still shut. He then stared intensely directly into his own eyes that, of course, stared intensely right back. And he broke out with goosebumps. He felt compelled to look away. The way he was looking at himself, it felt exactly like being stared at by someone else. Like being stared at by some stranger out in the street or in a bar, a stranger who made you feel very uncomfortable. Mitchell turned away from the mirror and shook his head. He definitely must be coming down with a migraine, he thought. He went back to his desk and tried to ignore the chills now creeping up his back. No migraine would come that day. But later that night, when he brushed his teeth and stared at his reflection again, he still didn't like the way he was staring back at himself. Something still felt off, movements ever so slightly delayed. He bought his ticket to Ohio, and over the next few weeks, his reflection continued to bother him. He'd feel a lingering sense of unease as he quickly shaved or washed his face. He started to wonder if he was going crazy. He tried to chalk it up to the stress of work or the weird call with his mom. Maybe he really did need to re-examine his relationship with his parents, though he knew on some level those reasons weren't it. Maybe he was really losing his mind, he thought. Eventually, at the end of October, the email came. Check in for your flight. Mitchell had nearly forgotten about it. He now left a voicemail on his parents' home phone, letting them know he'd be there the following day on Halloween, and he'd take an Uber to their house. Then his mom responded with the text of, Cannot wait to see you! Love you, Mitchell! And then some heart emojis. Not the text he was expecting. Had she ever added emojis before? When his Uber pulled into his parents' driveway on Halloween night, Mitchell was again overcome with the feeling that something was off. There was no Halloween decorations outside his parents' house, none in or on the windows. There was still the same flower pot on the porch, under which he was sure his parents still kept a spare key, still the same paved driveway to the two-car garage, and the same home security sign planned in the front lawn. But there was no plastic jack-o'-lantern with an LED light. They'd been setting that one out for about two decades. No basic got him a target Halloween decorations either. No fake tombstone or some animatronic ghoul crawling out of the lawn or any other than the typical birthday stuff, as Mitchell liked to think of it. Mitchell's girlfriends and co-workers and everyone else he met always found it odd that he'd been born on Halloween, like he picked the day or something. He was used to it. He didn't know anything different. His parents always gave him cake on Halloween, and when he was in grade school and junior high, they'd have an actual birthday party for him on a different day, the weekend before or the weekend after. Halloween was never a good day to get kids to give up their plans and come over for a birthday party. Mitchell got his suitcase out of the Uber and, Uber and tried the door. Unexpectedly, it was open. Hey, it's me, he called. You know, you really shouldn't leave the front door. He stopped himself. What kind of person visited their parents for the first time in, shit, over a year now, and then started off with criticism? Also, why hadn't they responded? Hello? Mom? Dad? From the back of the screen door banged and Mitchell froze. His heart started pounding. Oh, Mitchell! 
His mother's head popped into the doorway. She smiled at him broadly and came in for a hug. Your father and I were on the deck, honey. He actually finished it after all that time. Oh, great, Mitchell said. Little dazed, but managed to drop his suitcase and give his mom a hug. And then something about it made his skin crawl. Yes, Mitchell's mom had never been overly affectionate, but he also never hated receiving affection from her either. But he hated this. Come out, come out, she said, before he could dwell on what he was feeling too much longer. It's gorgeous out there. You'll see. He was led onto the back deck where his father was sitting in an Adirondack chair. As soon as Mitchell appeared in the doorway, his father's face spread into a big smile and he stood up. Well, if it isn't Mitchell, at long last, come give your father a hug. As he approached, Mitchell hesitated. This was never how his father spoke. Just like with his mom, something was off. His dad was less affectionate than his mom. Mitchell struggled to remember a time when his father had hugged him, if ever. And there was something else. Mitchell's father was from Texas and had always spoken with an accent. But now the accent was so faint. No, faint wasn't the right word. His accent was gone. Again, before he could dwell on this, his father was pulling him in for a crushing hug. And when Mitchell's hand brushed against his father's, he recoiled. He was again alarmed. His father's hand was cold. Not slightly chilly like he'd been standing under the AC, but ice bone, bone chilling cold like a cadaver, he thought. Mitchell's mother now rattled off a list of restaurants she wanted to try when Mitchell was in town. She also mentioned they'd stocked up on food recently and Mitchell realized that he was starving. His father said he needed a shower before dinner, went upstairs while Mitchell's mother said she had to return a phone call, but Mitchell was welcome to fix himself a snack from the fridge. Neither one of them mentioned his birthday or the fact that it was Halloween. I guess that was more like it, Mitchell thought, amusing himself and a bit relieved. His parents were both just as thoughtless as ever. He went to the fridge and then was surprised to see that it was well and truly stocked, an enormous amount of food, the vegetables fresh as though they'd been bought that day. Why was his mother suggesting they go out if she'd bought all that food? As he thought about it, standing in front of the fridge, he swore he saw his shadow in the chrome raise its hand. His hand, his real hand, was lying limply at its side. Find everything you need, honey? His mother put the phone back in its cradle and Mitchell startled, then nodded. He turned and put his hands on the counter. Did Dad seem weird to you? Mitchell started, brow furrowed. His mother was busy rearranging stuff on her desk. Her back turned to him. I mean, is he sick or something? He seemed a little distracted outside. Don't think so, his mother replied cheerfully. Mitchell wished he could have seen her eyes when she spoke, but she was still rearranging stuff on the desk. For some reason, he knew her eyes would not look as cheerful as she sounded. They wouldn't match the rest of her. Not at all. He seems perfectly normally, normal to me. Maybe you've just forgotten this, honey, she teased, and Mitchell had the sudden clear thoughts, or maybe I don't remember you because you're not my parents. The thought felt ridiculous as soon as it occurred to him, but not entirely impossible. The thought didn't leave when they made up their minds about where to go for dinner. When his father came down and Mitchell asked, not doing any trick-or-treaters this year? His parents both stared blankly at him like he'd just spoken some other language. Candy? You're not handing out candy to trick-or-treaters? He added. His parents looked at each other, still silent and confused. For Halloween? My birthday? Of course, your birthday, honey. That's why we're going out. Your birthday on Halloween, same as every year. Let's get going. What in the actual fuck was going on, Mitchell wondered. It wasn't like they'd forgotten it was Halloween. It was like they forgot that Halloween even existed. The restaurant they went to was packed. His parents didn't think to make reservations. So they grabbed some takeout, came back to watch a movie in the den. They turned off the lights, had some popcorn, watched the new Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis. Mitchell found himself watching his parents watch the movie more than he actually watched the movie himself. No reactions to anything, at all. So weird. Also, in addition to forgetting it was Halloween, or even what Halloween was, his parents had forgotten to get him a birthday card or gift. And they didn't even bring up the fact that they'd forgotten it. They weren't ever that thoughtless. Around 10, Mitchell said his goodnights, went upstairs to bed. Get some sleep, sleepyhead, his mother said, giving him a smile and another hug. 
And when she did, his hand brushed against hers. His heart started racing again. She was ice cold, too, just like his father. And it was plenty warm in the house. He shivered, then took the stairs up to his bedroom two at a time. In the bathroom, he tried to use the breathing technique he'd been taught in therapy. Four in, four for hold, four out. Four, four, four. There had to be a reasonable explanation for all of this, right? Four, four, four. Maybe his parents were both sick. Maybe he was going fucking crazy. Four, four, four. He opened the eyes and looked in the mirror. Opened his eyes and looked in the mirror. He had to stop himself from screaming out loud. The other Mitchell's nostrils were flaring when his weren't. It was like the other Mitchell was drawing breaths when he wasn't. Mitchell reached and moved to touch the mirror. In the reflection, his hand did not move at all. The mirror was ice cold. In his reflection, it stared back at him with a look he knew he didn't possess, a predatory look, one of menace. Mitchell turned and fled the bathroom, slamming the bathroom door behind him, staggering out into the hall. He felt dizzy. He needed to run. No, he needed to stay put. He didn't know what he needed, but something was so very wrong. You need to get your parents, he now thought. It was the clearest thought he had, the voice rising above the din of the others. He needed to tell his parents what was going on, that he probably needed medical help. He started down the stairs, then stopped. His parents had said they were going to watch a bit more TV, maybe another movie, but he didn't hear anything. He also hadn't heard his parents come upstairs. From halfway down the stairs, he peered into the living room, seeing the back of his parents' heads, the couch facing towards the TV on the wall, except the TV wasn't on. His parents were just staring at a blank fucking screen, silently, perfectly still. Mitchell's heart sank into his stomach. Those were not his parents. Whatever they were, he was now 100% certain they were not his parents. Ding dong! Trick or treat! Some kids were at the front door. Pretty late, but he was glad that they were there. Still staying halfway down the stairs on a dark staircase, he watched his parents walk over to the front door, open it to two young teens, dressed up as some kind of walking dead type zombies. Go away, he heard his mother flatly and coldly tell them, and do not come back here tonight, added his father in the same flat, cold tone. And instead of some sort of, well, fuck you then, from those teens, they just slowly backed away and quietly left. They were terrified. Then Mitchell's dad slowly shut and locked the door. His parents turned around, faced towards him, and said, Good to see you're up, son. I guess it's time, isn't it? Mitchell was about to answer when a voice from behind him replied, I guess it is. Mitchell spun around to see himself at the top of the stairs and screamed. He ran down the rest of the stairs as his parents and the other ran towards him. He managed to barely beat them to the door to the deck. He now ran outside and across the yard, chased by whatever those things were that looked like his parents, chased by whatever that thing was that looked like him. He hopped the back fence, ran through a neighbor's yard, ran out to a busier street the one than the one his parents lived on. There were still a few trick-or-treaters out. Most of the older kids, the ones dressed like devils and demons and ghosts. The Batmans and ninjas and princesses and witches were all home counting their candy. A street full of people dressed up like monsters. How fitting while Mitchell ran for his life from what he felt like were real monsters. He crossed the street just before the light changed and bought himself a few more seconds of being ahead of whatever the fuck those things were. He saw a taxi up ahead. Hadn't taken one in years. And it was empty. Thank God it was empty. He flagged it down, jumped in, half yelling, to the airport, as he did so. He left his suitcase behind, but still had his wallet, car keys, cell phone. Everything else would be easy to replace. You forget you had a flight? The driver asked as he turned around. Once again, Mitchell was screaming. The driver's eyes were white, all white, no pupils. He had fangs. Easy, buddy, the driver yelled. It's Halloween. Boom, boom, boom! The other Mitchell was aggressively trying to open the door that Mitchell had just shut and locked. Drive, drive, Mitchell yelled. Please! The driver was now almost as freaked out as he was, seeing another Mitchell trying to get in. He quickly pulled away. What the hell's going on? The creepy vampire asked as he watched three people running after his car. I wish I knew, truly, said Mitchell. I just need to get away from them. 
and then he caught his reflection in the driver's rearview mirror, and it was, truly, his own reflection again. His phone rang with a call. His mother. He declined. Then a FaceTime. He declined again. Then a text. Come home, honey. We need to talk to you. Your parents miss you. They're scared. They can't hold on much longer. Holy shit. His parents. What the fuck were those things doing to his parents? They killed them. Came a thought carrying a surprising amount of certainty. Your parents are dead. And you would be too if that thing had gotten a hold of you. Mitchell had no doubt the voice was correct. He made it home that night. Several drinks on the flight kept him from completely losing his shit. He moved not long afterwards. Didn't tell his parents uh, doppelgangers where. Now when anybody asks about his parents, he no longer tells them he doesn't see them that much. He tells them they're dead. Because they are. They must be. Calls, texts, FaceTimes continued to come in from what Mitchell began calling the others until he got a new number. His reflection has remained his own ever since that disturbing Halloween night, but he worries that if he ever messes up and answers the wrong call, if he hears one of the other's voices again, hears that strange language if the other uh, him has returned back into the mirror, maybe some of its magic will bleed through the line again. Maybe his reflection will start to change again. And then one day it'll come through the mirror again and do God knows what to him when it replaces him in this world. What the fuck? <laughs> what in the actual hell is going on? What? Isn't that a crazy story? I don't... What? Something, some entity, what I take from it, after looking over a few times, something replaced his family and wanted him to, whatever kind of weird-ass language, maybe some kind of demonic language. It almost sounded like Latin. Like, yeah, through the phone, maybe with some kind of, that's when he started to notice his reflection was messing up. It's like... Thank fucking God he didn't answer FaceTime when she called. Like, I know that mm. he immediately regretted it mm-hmm. in that moment because oh. he thought, like, he would have been able to see what was going on with his mom. But maybe but I that think thing would have got him. Exactly. I think it would have been a much more direct pathway to him. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he would have seen that thing and then he would have realized something was wrong and he might yeah. have got on a plane sooner. And I think it all could have been escalated. Yeah. Super odd story. Like, all the, like, weird affects and the staring at the blanks. I just, um, it was very visual for me. Yeah. And it just really creeped well, me out. When you were telling that story and then you started speaking that other language mm-hmm. without any warning, mm-hmm. my heart went to my stomach. I was like, Wait, what? That, that's why I had to interrupt and kind of like laugh. I was like, ha ha, you got me. <laughs> ah. Damn. Uh, no pictures are attached to the story. No, how could there be? No, I just wa- I wanted to find a creepy doppelganger in the mirror image. Um, this is the best I could find. Is it, it a picture it just, of yourself? No, oh. it's just a real like... The girl's like face doesn't quite match and the eyes are open in the reflection there. Yeah. But just like just such a disturbing thought that your reflection would just be a tick off, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like know, making a, you feel crazy. Really? Like, is that real? Right. Like the movement just seems a little bit delayed. And I would think like, do I have a fucking brain tumor? Like what's going on? Right. Right. And then I like his rationale with his parents acting off. It's like, but the mirror had been acting off everything. Man. It's like I would I would question my sanity. I'm like, am I just. There's something going on in my brain. Well, like, you're already fucking nuts. <laughs> I'm already a little on the edge. And I'd be I like, know. okay, I've tipped over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we like to live on the edge. <laughs> I know I had an aunt that died of a brain tumor. And I often like would think in retrospect, if she knew sooner than we knew, because for mm. months she was like, I don't know. I just feel like a little bit off. I feel a little bit off. And I was Shit. Like, what? Right. And then one day they found her. She'd been pulled over, pulled over on the side of the road and called. I can't remember because I was like in high school mm-hmm. she'd been driving the wrong way down a road you told me that. and yeah. that was like and then immediately there were like I was like did she have a stroke they did the scans and it was such a crazy situation where she had the tumor they did surgery something I don't remember exactly yeah put something into like alleviate the pressure maybe like a stent or they, whatever they got it out the tumor 
I don't know if they ever got the whole thing out, and then she was fine for a couple years, and then it came back with a motherfucking vengeance Ugh. and just took her out. Ah, yeah, it was awful. Yeah. Awful. Because you think, like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that could happen. Oh, my God, you're okay. And But you, you I think you mm. always kind of know in those scenarios you're living a little bit on borrowed time because there's no guarantee it doesn't come back. It's like anybody who's ever had cancer. Yeah. They can say they fucking got it, and you go for scan after scan. Okay, you're five years or whatever it is. You're cured. You're cancer-free. It doesn't mean it can't come back. Uh, I know. It's Viral. Like tragic, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn. That story was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Holy Hades. Yeek. And I think that and this next one's pretty damn creepy, too. I was just thinking about how, like, my dad likes to randomly FaceTime me, and I find it so annoying. Mm. I'm like, hey, you don't just randomly FaceTime people. Oh, yeah, true. It's, you- it's, it's, it's a bit intrusive. How about a text first? Like, mm-hmm. hey, Heads can up. you FaceTime? Yep, exactly. Because, like, you don't know where I am. You don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> right. I used to think, oh, it must be an emergency. You need to tell yeah. me something immediately face-to-face. No, it's usually like, ha look at this funny thing I found in Home Depot. <laughs> like, right. uh, first of all, don't fucking FaceTime anybody from Home Depot. No one appreciates it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. No one wants to hear your conversation. Mm-hmm. Take it off fucking speakerphone. Okay, Dad? Okay? <laughs> like, second uh, of all, like, or third yeah. of all, uh... You could just text me mm-hmm. a picture. It's weird how that technology works. <laughs> uh, oh, parents. And also creepy just to think about like visiting your parents, hadn't oh seen them in a while, God. and they're just a tick off. And they're not doing anything wrong, but you're like, nah, that's not them. That's mm-hmm. not them. And mm-hmm. if you, uh, that would be so freaky. It would be so scary. Mm-hmm. Also, I liked at the beginning when like, <laughs> it, was, it sounded like something out of a romantic comedy about like oh this boy he doesn't really mm-hmm. like to see his family so much meanwhile i'm over here like fuck yeah sounds great <laughs> like i yeah. love my family yeah but an over-involved family no thanks no thanks i don't need them down the street i mean i live mm-hmm. thousands of miles away on purpose mm-hmm. i miss them i love yeah. them i don't need them in my daily life yeah me either no uh, yeah i like to have little, little spurts yeah. then uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. i miss you which is great <clears throat> if you don't go away i can't fucking miss you yeah uh, are you ready now to meet uh, young Isabella's not-so-imaginary friend, Emily? Oh. Well, I have a friend named Emily, so now I'm inherently kind of creeped out. Em. <laughs> we head to Baltimore for more scares right after today's sponsor break. Thanks for sharing these scares with your friends, getting us to the point where we have sponsors, creeps and peepers. Uh, very proud to uh, now be one of the biggest horror podcasts in the world. Had over 1.3 million downloads last month, uh, our most so far, and just very thankful. Woohoo! This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking... 
Try not to fuck up the class. Tillamook Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, creeps and peepers. Another no setup story. Just mm. going to get right into it again. Thank God I'm <clears> prepped <throat> with my crystals today. <laughs> Time now for the tale of Emily. Back in 2008 in Baltimore, my husband Brian and I decided it was time to take the plunge and step onto the property ladder. Our relationship was strong, we'd been through quite a lot together, and finally we were in a place where we felt the time was right to settle down in one spot. After a long time trying, we'd been blessed with a little girl five years earlier, and right after her fifth birthday we solidly decided we needed to stop renting, buy a house, and build the family home we felt our daughter deserved. We weren't able to qualify for much, and most of the places we first looked at were a lot smaller than what we wanted, so we kept looking. We were really itching to make an offer, but we didn't want to end up moving into some place that would end up feeling too small, some place we just want to move out of quickly again. We wanted to be able to settle and stay there. Eventually, our real estate agent took us to a house big enough for a potentially growing family and a couple of pets to run around in. The neighborhood seemed lovely. The school wasn't far away. I couldn't believe it when we were told the price. I squeezed my husband's hand, did a little hop of excitement. Mm -hmm. Here we go. Here we go. No discussion was needed. We put in an offer on the spot and received a call the same night to accept. Uh One of the happiest nights of my life. Before we moved in, we took a week for me and Brian to decorate. We hated the color scheme the previous owners had chosen. It was dark. made the house feel oppressive. Our daughter Isabella's room was painted a dark, deep red, made the whole room seem smaller than it was, and spooky. It was a nightmare to paint over. After a coat of primer, two coats of white paint, you could still see blood-like streaks running down the walls. It took five coats of paint in total to hide it. Finally, we went to get Isabella from my mother's house and we moved in. Isabella loved her new room immediately and wasted no time unpacking and getting her stuffed toys in order. We were all buzzing with joy. I couldn't remember the last time we'd ever been this happy. After the first week or so, it struck me that Isabella had been spending almost all of her time playing in her new bedroom. She'd never done that before. She usually loved to be outside or under my feet asking for detailed commentary of whatever I was happening to be doing, but now my little shadow was missing. So one afternoon, I went to check on her after getting that rush of emotion that could only happen when a mother misses her baby. Just before I reached her bedroom, I heard her talking. We had to! Your room was red. I don't like red. For a split second, it struck me that she wasn't told her room used to be red, but I gave my head a little shake, told myself it was just a make-believe game. Maybe she was talking about some other room. Maybe she overheard her dad and I talking about her room. Who are you talking to, sweetheart? 
I asked as I peeked my head around the corner of the door. Emily, she said very matter-of-factly. A confused look on her face as if the question was stupid to ask because the answer was so obvious. We're playing, she informed me, and then added, Emily hasn't had friends for a while and she wants to play with me. Oh my god. And with that, getting the feeling my daughter wanted to play alone, I went back to busy myself in the kitchen. It made sense that she would create an imaginary friend. We were living in a new house, far from our previous home, where there were some neighbor kids she sometimes used to play with, and she probably was a little lonely. And I thought nothing more of Emily until the next morning. Brian shook me awake, my morning coffee in his hand, wanting to say hello and make sure I'd woken up before he got off to work. I took the coffee gratefully, got out of bed, began to get dressed. Have you been singing old nursery rhymes with Isabella? He asked. That's a random question, I laughed. Not recently, no. Oh, just that when I went to get her this morning, she was singing Mary Had a Little Lamb. I haven't heard that one since I was a kid. I assumed you taught it. Taught it to her. Thinking hard, I looked at my husband with a blank expression. No, I, have, I haven't thought about that song since I was little either. I have no idea where she learned it. I went to Isabella's room to say good morning, and sure enough, there she was, singing Mary Had a Little Lamb. Where'd you learn that song, I asked. For some reason, it was really bugging me. Emily taught it to me, she said. Emily teaches me lots of things. And then left her to her games, but now something about her imaginary friend was not sitting well with me. The next week or so went by pretty smoothly, other than Isabella constantly playing alone in her room, talking about Emily. We thought it just must be a new phase, and I didn't like it. We hardly saw Isabella anymore, when it wasn't mealtime or bath times. Both Brian and I were getting a little worried that maybe she was taking this Emily thing a bit too far. Then one Saturday, I started to really not like Emily. We kept finding little things broken around the house. Nothing too expensive. We both assumed it was Isabella. Kids are prone to accidents. Anyone who spent time around kids knows that. And when we asked Isabella about what was going on, she immediately blamed it on Emily. We told her that imaginary friends can't break anything, and then she got really upset. She said that Emily was not imaginary. She was real. And I told her that if Emily broke anything else, Isabella would be getting in trouble. And she screamed, that's not fair! And she ran off to her room crying. I let it go with that for the night. But then shortly thereafter, an antique vase had been passed down through the women of my family for generations, lay shattered on the living room floor. Oh, no. I was furious. I called Isabella into the room, asked if she'd done this. She told me she would never do that. She told me Emily did it. Then a strange look came across my little girl's face, and she looked at me straight in the eye and said, Emily doesn't like you, Mommy. Emily wants you to go away. Isabella got in a lot of trouble that night. She went to bed early and in tears. By this point, I hated Emily. Adding to the stress of dealing with this new imaginary friend, the atmosphere in the house had become awful. Brian was always irritated or angry about something now. Isabella always seemed upset. I felt like I was going out of my mind. When Brian's mom offered to take Isabella on a trip for the weekend, I jumped at it. I decided while she was gone that I'd properly redecorate her bedroom, make it look really special since she loved to play in there now. Hopefully the combination of this and a trip to her grandma's would make her forget about Emily. I worked all weekend lightening up her room painting a mural of the Wizard of Oz, her favorite movie, on one wall. And I put up little fairy lights and got new bedding and curtains so everything would look bright and cheerful. I was so happy with the way it turned out, I was certain this would make Isabella so happy. When my mother-in-law brought her home, they checked out Isabella's room makeover. My mother-in-law thought it looked fantastic, and Isabella loved it as well. I was so proud of myself. Isabella went into her room to play while I had coffee in the living room with Brian's mom. She quickly told me the weekend was Emily-free. About 20 minutes later, Brian's mom got up to leave. We headed to Isabella's room so she could say goodbye. And when I opened the door, my heart caught in my mouth. Everything I'd done had been destroyed. Lights ripped down. Curtains torn. There were scribbles all over the wall. Isabella sitting in the corner crying. 
She was so upset, the most upset I'd ever seen her, almost hysterical, furiously promising she would never do this, that it was Emily. And for the first time, I believed her. I believed Emily was real and that she was very scary. It couldn't have been Isabella. Isabella couldn't have reached the lights that had been knocked down. And the drawings on the wall went up almost to the ceiling, far higher than Isabella could reach. My mother-in-law was freaked out as well. She didn't want to leave us alone with whatever was happening. She decided to stay for a few days. Both she and I told Isabella to tell Emily to leave her alone. Stop playing with her. Don't talk to her. Isabella told us that Emily could not go away. She said Emily told her that her mommy had hurt her in the bathtub real bad. And now she could never leave this house. Absolutely terrified, now I scanned the local paper for ads and found a medium we called to come try and give us some answers. When she arrived, I rushed through all the small talk to get her going as fast as possible. She sat in a chair in the living room and soon went into some sort of trance, like she was sleeping. And then her eyes popped open quickly, her voice changed to a deep, inhuman, pain voice, and she told us we would have no peace at all into our house until all of the Bibles in the house were out. Such an odd request, one that scared me. But I was willing to try anything, so I had Brian fetch the only two Bibles we own and get them out of the house. Once he had them outside, the medium spoke again, still in that unnatural voice. There's another, the voice said, in your daughter's room. Get it out! I ran into Isabella's room with Brian at my side. Get it out! Get it out! Get it out! The voice kept repeating louder and louder. Where was it? There was no Bible on Isabella's bookshelf. We started to look everywhere, tearing the room apart. Then there, wrapped up in Isabella's comforter, we found a third Bible, one I'd never seen before. Too tired and distressed to even question where it came from, we quickly took it out of the house as well. We ran back inside and all was quiet. And then the medium was struggling to get to her feet, herself again now. We asked her about the Bible. She claimed to have no memory of anything she'd said, but she found the Bible request very troubling. She told us Bibles are used for protection. She sat with us for a couple of hours to make sure the house was quiet. She claimed to no longer feel the presence of anything. She gave us her card with her number on it just in case case we needed to call her back. When she left, while we were all trying to calm down a little in the living room, my mother-in-law offered to give Isabella a bubble bath and get her ready for a slumber party in the guest room with her. I found out shortly after Isabella's bubble bath that the medium had definitely not gotten Emily out of the house. To this day, every time I think of what Isabella said to me that night, my whole body gets goosebumps and I feel fear to my very core. While my mother-in-law was washing Isabella's hair, she asked if it was okay to go out the window. My mother-in-law, confused, told her, No, sweetie, we use doors to go outside. No, said Isabella, shaking her head. My bedroom window. Emily said it's okay for me to go out the window. She said she'll catch me and then I can play with her forever. As soon as Brian's mom told us about the conversation, Brian ran upstairs, set to work nailing the window shut on the second floor. I was feeling absolute despair now, freaking out. Our new house was a nightmare. I didn't know how much more I could take. Later that night, I managed to drift off to sleep after a lot of tossing and turning. All the stress I was feeling was keeping me awake, and then it finally gave in to sheer exhaustion. But I would not get any deep slumber that night. I was about to get the worst awakening of my life. I suddenly woke up, gasping for air, my eyes blinking, trying to focus on what was right in front of me. I could feel tears streaming down my face, hands around my throat. It was Brian. (gasps) My husband was on top of me, choking me. I struggled, fought, I was so scared, he was so much stronger than me. Luckily, before passing out, I was able to break free from his grip, struggled to my feet and run, barely. I was so lightheaded. Brian silently followed, never saying a word as I raced down the stairs, hearing his heavy footsteps behind me. I'd never been so afraid in my life. I ran out the front door, straight out into the middle of the street. I stood there, bracing myself, shivering in just my nightdress, watching the front door, waiting for Brian to come racing out. He finally, slowly stumbled out, like someone sleepwalking. I walked back up to the front porch where he staggered, dazed, confused. 
I woke him. He claimed to have no idea how he'd gotten outside. He told me he had no idea that he choked me, and I believe him. I told him, go get in the car, and I ran inside and scooped up Isabella in a blanket. Brian's mom must have heard our struggle, was already up and ready to go. I bundled everyone into the car. We drove to my mother-in-law's house where we'd stay until we could sell that house and move. And Emily, thank God, did not follow us. None of us ever stepped foot in that house again. Brian worked with a real estate agent to get all of our stuff out and get the place sold. It's been years now, and he still feels bad about selling it. He says that the only major regret he has in life is not having enough money for us to be able to buy a new house without having to sell that one. He wishes he could have had the house torn down so that no one else could ever live in it. Luckily, Isabella now barely remembers anything about the house and never mentions Emily. I hope Emily has forgotten about her as well. Damn. That's a good mom. She got the fuck out right away. <laughs> See she what did. happens when the women are in charge? We just, boom, we, we're out. We're out. out. Damn. That window thing? Like, yeah. uh, jump out the window and I'll mm-hmm. catch you? Fuck. That's so terrifying. Oh, my God. Yeah, this thing wants to fucking kill your kid. That's so scary. I was so nervous when you said the bubble bath. I thought something... going to drown it? Yes, I thought mm-hmm. something very tragic was about to happen. Mm-hmm. But since you didn't give a trigger warning, I felt like it was probably going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could not find any pics for this story that were not associated with it being told in the sci-fi channels. Paranormal Witness, back oh. in 2011. Okay. I don't want to use one of their dramatic reenactment shots. Yeah. Uh, this pic, I, I just found a creepy-ass little girl uh, Halloween decoration. I was trying to find creepy girls. Yeek. I know. This is a Halloween... This fucking, Usually I don't care about Halloween directions or decorations. Joe, can you zoom in, zoom in on this? No. No way. It is so fucking creepy. I'm not looking. That's a good job. That, that, that is... looks like a custom piece. Oh, yeah. God. Why did I do that? <laughs> Woo. I would not <laughs> like to see that on someone's porch. Is it over? God if, bless. Joe, get rid of it. If I was a little kid, I might just be like, no, I'm going to skip that house. <laughs> but they have the full-size candy bars there. If that house had the full-size candy bars and maybe like a soda, I'd be oh, so oh, torn. Oh, and a soda. There was one house that gave sodas <gasps> when I went to when I was a kid. The, ba- the Bagley's, Ross and Marilyn. That's a great idea. And they live next to the cemetery. So it was a special trip. You had to walk up the cemetery Aww. road if you made it. Because very, and they even told me, uh, Marilyn Bagley, a lot of p- kids hated her. Mm-hmm. I liked her because I tried in school. And so oh, she loved she me. she's a teacher? She's a teacher. They were both teachers. And uh, and they would reward you with a full-size candy bar and uh, soda for making the journey. Oh, that's so cute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, that's it, so it, cute. it felt like a real accomplishment. Did you have anybody in your neighborhood that gave out money? No. Oh my God. There was always like this one house that would, what they give just like dollar bills? I can't remember, but it just felt so exciting. Yeah, that'd have been awesome to get money. Yeah. I mean, it was just a buck. But still, but, but at a certain, like, age, certain age, I'm like, fuck yeah, I got a dollar. I know, I know. I go, I go to the store and buy whatever candy bar I want. And that was when candy bars, at least when I was a kid, uh, 50 cents a bar, 45 cents a bar. Yeah, yeah. Usually a Hershey's bar, two for a dollar. Ooh, mm-hmm. I so remember you, those so days. You, I could have gotten two Almond Joys. For that oh. dollar, full size. Okay, that was, I was always, and to this day, mm-hmm. go for like the gooey things, the chewy things. So it was oh, like, yeah. I would get a bit of honeys, I would get mm. dots, I would get now and laters, mambas, yeah. like anything like that. Sour Patch Kids. I was out. Lemon heads. I was out with the chewy stuff. I remember biting into a piece of caramel in grade school. Yeah. And having my molar just come out with it. Well, I yeah, mean, that's I mean, what I, you I, used I to get a loose tooth out. And then after that, that just freaked me out. And then, what? And then, and then now that it just gets stuck in my teeth, and I hate to I hate having to floss it out. I have no interest in uh, like like caramel and mm-hmm. things that just stay there. Milk duds are what you use to get <clears throat> out a loose tooth that doesn't want to mm-hmm. be pulled out. You just yeah, out it goes. Out it goes. Dang! Wow, those were great stories. Oh, good. Those were uh, great. I'm glad that the our, our first of two Halloween Ooh. ones going to be a little spookier. Yeah. Maybe. Emily. I'm going to have to talk to my Emily. 
make sure she's real. <laughs> hey, how you doing, Em? <laughs> oh, oh, man. No wonder you were a little spooked last night. Mm-hmm. I did. I will say, full disclosure, I was working on polishing kind of like this episode and the next one last night. Yeah. And after about an episode and a half, it was a little over an, little over an hour of just yeah. putting the final kind of polished pass, I like to say, on them, mm-hmm. I did have to uh, take a little break from the music. Because it was like, it was intense music, like horror movie music. Mm-hmm. And I'm completely in the dark, just with my laptop screen as the only source of lights. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, okay, okay. And working on these stories, I'm like, ah, I need a, I need to go get a quick snack. I got a Halloween Oreo. <laughs> perfectly <laughs> themed. Mm-hmm, perfectly themed. Oh, man, the Halloween Oreos are so good. I know, Monroe, the other day <clears> she opened <throat> up the cabinet. She's like, oh, orange Oreos. Yeah. Because I like Delish. to buy. Delish. Because I like to buy the Newman's organic gluten-free ones that you guys. Another also- shit. You love them. Uh, frequently, you guys don't know the damn difference. You're like, oh, mm. they're so good. That's mm. why I don't say anything. Interesting. But the orange ones are special. Yeah, they're special. I like the 4th of July ones that have the um, pop the pop rocks in them. Yeah, it's, I, I like, I'm more of a traditional Oreo person. I don't want the pop rocks in them. Mm. I like a double stuff as well. That's too much cream for me. I oh, know, Monroe and I like it. Mm-hmm. Because what you do is you like take the top off and you scoop out half the cream. It's like nah, two open-faced Oreos. That's the, that's the ratio is not right for me. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> we have a whole debate. Mm-hmm. Now, are you a dunker? Nope. Good. I've never seen you dunk. I am also not a dunker. I like the crunch. Yes, exactly. It was mm-hmm. one of the few things you like crunchy. Mm-hmm. Now, when you got up, did you notice that the refrigerator had like some breathing coming from behind? Oh, God. No. Nothing that, happened that, I would last had night? To, I would have had to turn on the lights at, at that point. Nope. I, I love that last <clears> night <throat> that you didn't even say anything when we were mm-hmm. both working at the table uh, that I brought out a bunch of crystals. I knew that you must have been in a particular state because there was no mention about, like, what the fuck is that about? What are you doing? There was no eye roll. There was nothing. I had a smoky quartz, a black tourmaline, uh, and a uh, uh, crystal quartz. I've given a up. big one that I'm I keep gi- by the front door. I'm just trying to be nice about it now. I've given up. Is that it? Hmm? Is that it? No, I, no, I, I, I don't uh, think about them in terms of protection. But I'm like, if it makes you feel better, fine. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the witch's ball that I hung at the, uh, by the front door? Nope. Okay. This is great. My plan is working. <laughs> I've snuck protection all over the mm-hmm. house without you even noticing. Yeah, there's just so many doodads around. I, I just like, I'm just, I'm just like, ah, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. Not too if, many if, doodads. If it makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah. It does, actually. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. Because I was working on my stories, like doing multiple passes yesterday. And I was here in the studio, and you had gone away from the studio to work, and Logan started like turn off lights. I was like, "Oh, are you going?" He's like, yeah. "I was like, okay, I am coming too because <laughs> I am freaked out. I can't stay here by myself." Then I was so mad that I had to work on the stories at the house. I'm trying so hard mm-hmm. not away. to do it at home. <clears throat> yes, I just need our space to be. Yeah, I get that. Even clear, nothing. Okay, well, I do have two stories for you today, mm-hmm. Dan. And you said you wanted an announcement before you got into your stories. Yes. Well, you know I'm how you... prompting you. you. I'll think, I know. I mm-hmm. have it right here. Okay. That's so sweet of you, though. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember how you said earlier, like, about being such a big horror podcast? Yeah. Yeah, and, like, so many downloads. Mm-hmm. And that's so exciting, and it's so great. And part of, like, what has gotten us there is ratings and reviews on iTunes. And 
We're just, I don't know. I know a lot of shows do like, they hammer it hard, like mm. ratings, reviews, ratings. I don't know. We just always feel so weird about that. But we shouldn't. We shouldn't because it helps us so much. I mean, it is like mm-hmm. part of that is what helps us get the growth, which helps us get the sponsors and the advertisers, which is very helpful yeah. to like fund the show, keep the show going, updates, like buying new equipment, all of that stuff. And the reason it's helpful on Apple Podcasts is yeah. because that's where like, what, 70. 70- more than 70% of people discover podcasts there. Yeah. I, it just, it's the biggest slice of the pie still. Yeah, it still is, whether we like it or not. And uh, <clears throat> like, regardless of what you think, of, if you're mm-hmm. like a droid user yeah. and you're like, ah, you know, but if you happen to be on iTunes and you have a few spare moments, just a five-star review, if that's what you think we deserve, <laughs> and like a cool note, you can just say like, get the fuck out of here, whatever. You know, it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be, actually, I don't think you can swear on those. Uh, you can You can write GTFO. Yeah. You could, yeah. you could abbreviate, but we would just really appreciate it. Uh, we will try not to hit that drum too hard, but it does really help. And as like time goes on and things shift and change and we're back to a more consistently normal world, like it would hopefully give us the ability to then track where we have a lot of downloads and maybe do a live show. And, yeah. you know, we are hoping to expand our studio. So it, it all helps. And we do utilize that piece of the puzzle to help grow the show, to help with sponsors, to help make it a better show for yeah, you guys. Absolutely. So that's the deal. Schneel. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I want to play a little game. Okay. Okay. It's not scary at all. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say one word to you because when I read the title of this story, I was like, yeah. wait, what? Okay. So there's a reason behind this. I'm going to say one word to you and I want you to tell me immediately like the first thought that you have of what this word might mean. Okay. Okay. Taboo. Um, something that's like, like, like of the occult, something you're not supposed to do. Oh, interesting. Okay. My mind immediately went to something sexual. Like, oh yeah, sexual like, taboos oh, too. Okay. Well, but you are spot on. Annoyingly. God, I hate how smart you are. Uh, the definition of taboo, when you look it up, and mm-hmm. the first definition is a social or religious custom prohibiting or forbidding discussion of a particular practice or forbidding association with mm-hmm. a particular person, place, or thing. Okay, so that will all make sense because yeah. as I was scrolling through stories, the name of this was the taboo. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, oh, it, we had that story a while ago, a long while ago now about, man, these like two guys and they bought some like house in the middle of nowhere and redid it. And there was, uh, oh God, they had like a, a a room that was painted red and there was like orgies would happen out there. And mm. then there was a story of like a young couple Yes. The house was like vacated for whatever reason. And then they went and camped out there and then they were hooking up and then they saw something and it was like a whole mm-hmm, weird, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. kinky. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's fun. Like, let's revisit that. That is 1000% what is not happening yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not okay. even close. Okay. Not even close. And while we rarely give them, I would like to give a small trigger warning here. There is a heavy suicide theme. So okay. if that is something that you should avoid, <clears throat> please take care while listening. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. The taboo. Hello, king and queen of the suck. I'm a huge fan of horror in general and your show in particular. Thank you. Thanks for keeping your show unfiltered and minimally edited, as I find it really niche and refreshing amongst the deluge of other horror podcasts available right now. Yes. Listening to a married couple picking on each other between stories is an excellent palate cleanser before the next fright. Keep it spoopy. In the mid-2000s, I attended a small college in northern New Mexico, which has since been absorbed by a larger university system. When I say that the college was small, I'm referring to the student population, only a few hundred, Mm. and not to the campus itself, which loomed large as a dreary reminder of the school's prosperous heyday. 
attending a school on the brink of bankruptcy had many obvious disadvantages <laughs> in terms of resources. We were not blessed with modern equipment, palatable cafeteria food, or school-sanctioned functions, but our unsanctioned functions were not to be missed. <laughs> the vast expanse of unmonitored campus grounds and unused buildings made our college a breeding ground for spontaneous parties. By the end of my freshman year, I must have taken part in some salacious activity or other in every nook of abandoned ground on that campus. Except one. St. Paul's Dormitory stood on the western edge of campus grounds. It was the only one of four student housing buildings no longer in use. Officially, St. Paul's had been decommissioned when the student population fell below 1,000 to condense residents closer together and make the school feel less empty. Unofficially, the building was haunted. <laughs> Rumor held that in the spring semester of 1997, three students and a teacher inexplicably committed suicide by hanging within a two-week period. Jeez. The last of these, it was said, happened in the recreation room during a large gathering, prompting what? all in attendance to flee the building and never return. Standing in front of St. Paul's one Halloween night with my two best friends, I felt a shiver of anticipation travel down my spine. The sight before us should have been mundane, even slightly beautiful. A simple brick facade outlined by the desert and setting sun. Yet something felt off about the building. Nothing concrete, mind you, just off. I always wanted to abandon I almost wanted to abandon the whole adventure, but being the only male in a female friend group, I didn't think I could be the one to chicken out first. Uh you still want to do this? I asked, looking to the left to Amanda. She was my age, a solidly built lacrosse player with a <laughs> fuck it attitude. <laughs> of course, she smirked, sparing me a side glance. Why, you getting scared? How about you, Monica? I turned to my other friend, avoiding Amanda's question. Monica's answer, which I would not try to write verbatim, even if I could remember it, essentially boiled down to a yes. Monica liked to talk. A <laughs> lot. It was her defining characteristic. A short woman with beautiful brown eyes and generous curves in all the right places. Monica would routinely offer an hour of mindless chatter to anyone who asked, what should we do for dinner? <laughs> I, I feel akin to Monica. I never really minded her talking, though. She was kind-hearted, easygoing, and hey, did I mention her curves? <laughs> On a previous foray to the supposedly haunted building, we had discovered an unlocked ground-level window, so it didn't take long for the three of us to find our way to the main build main entrance of the building. Being of adventurous spirit, uh, being of adventurous spirit, or possibly just stupid, we planned to maximize our time by splitting up and searching the dorm individually. Monica ascended to the upper level, Amanda continued on the first floor, and wanting to show off for the ladies, I volunteered <laughs> to check out the basement. After all, don't the scariest happenings always occur in the basement? At the landing, I turned left and walked to the end of the hall, beginning my exploration with the door furthest from the stairs. Shaking slightly, I positioned the flashlight for maximum visibility and with my other hand, slowly turned the handle. The door slid noiselessly on its hinges, revealing nothing. Or rather, nothing of interest. The basement was, as it turned out, garden-level housing. Windows were merely hidden from the outside by overgrowth. Miscellaneous equipment filled much of the room. It appeared St. Paul's was being used as a storage space for the college. Disappointed, but slightly relieved, I made my way from room to room, noting that each had been similarly filled with boxes and furniture. Curiously, however, I noticed that some rooms still retained traces of their former use. Dresser drawers were filled with neatly folded clothes of the distinguishedly, be distingu 
I can't say it. Distinguishable 90s style. Some of the dormitory beds were made, or more hauntingly, fully dressed in linens but unmade. Some former residents had undoubtedly left in a hurry and never returned for their belongings. With growing confidence, I had just swaggered into my ninth or tenth room when movement caught my peripheral vision. I spun around, my flashlight tracing what I guessed was its trajectory, back into the corridor and towards the stairs. And as I stepped to follow it, a blood-curdling scream emanated from somewhere above. Monica! Amanda shouted, the thumping of her footsteps matching mine as we simultaneously raced up our respective stairs. By the time I made it to the ground floor, I could no longer hear her movements, and I ran all the faster to meet her on the second floor. The second staircase ascended into a large room with two halls on either side. Through the thick dust that had settled all about, I could make out the trappings of a party. Streamers hung from the walls, flowing over an old television set, couches, a ping pong table, and a pinball machine. Two tables had been set up in the back as if to facilitate a buffet line. It was the rec room, Mm. and in the middle of it, a solidly built lacrosse player was performing CPR on the body of a short woman with beautiful brown eyes. In those days, cell phones were still not as commonplace as they are today, but I was fortunate enough to have one. Paramedics arrived more quickly than I could have ever imagined possible in time for Monica to make a full recovery at the, hosp- at the hospital. Physically, she was fine. Mentally, she never recovered. Once a vibrant person vying for class uh. valedictorian, Monica increasingly retreated into listless solitude. She never made it to another class again, and she never spoke another word ever again. As the fall semester ended, the three of us went our separate ways. Monica's parents pulled her out of school early to receive psychiatric help at an inpatient facility near their home in Massachusetts. I transferred out of state to university in Oregon, and Amanda stayed on for another semester in New Mexico. I tried to stay in touch with the girls via Facebook, but Monica never posted on her account, and Amanda canceled hers shortly after transferring to a school in New England. I wouldn't hear anything more about them until 2019. Reuniting with a mutual friend online, I learned that she had recently returned home from a trip to Massachusetts. It was weird, she messaged me. Weird being there, and weird not seeing you there. Seeing me where? I asked, wondering why she would expect to see me all the way across the country. Oh shit, you didn't know? Mm. I would have reached out, but I, I didn't know. I mean, naturally, I thought I thought you knew. Thought I knew what? Well, there was a funeral for Monica. She died. She hung herself in the facility. My eyes lost focus. I slammed my computer shut, took off my glasses, and collapsed back on the bed. Was this real? Had I just read that? It took me two days to reply to my friend's message. After confirming it wasn't a joke and receiving many more apologies, I asked if Amanda had made it to the funeral. The reply stopped my heart. She was there, but it was strange. She didn't say a word to me, or to anyone for that matter, the entire time. I thought maybe she was doing it on purpose, like to honor Monica, but I heard from her wife that she hasn't spoken for over a month now, except in her sleep. And apparently, she has night terrors. They started slowly, and now she wakes up screaming almost every night. It was a few weeks later that I started having the dreams. In my sleep, I wake up on the garden garden level of St. Paul's in that last room I visited before I saw the shadow in my periphery. I'm in bed. My eyes are closed. Suddenly, an icy finger touches my lips and I awaken still dreaming to Monica hovering over me. At least, I think it's Monica. Whereas Monica's skin was chestnut, this woman is starkly pale, almost blue. Whereas Monica's eyes were brown and full of life, this woman's eyes are a dull gray. Shh, 
she hisses before standing up and motioning for me to follow her. I do as I'm bidden, walking blindly into the hallway. As she turns toward the stairs, she presses her fingers to her lips again. Shh, she says. The first floor of St. Paul's is no longer a grand foyer leading up to a second flight of stairs. It's the beginning of a maze that I traverse in my nightmares, following the pale Monica as she expertly guides me, always five or six feet ahead of me. As she turns the corner, she turns profile to me. I stop when she does. Shh, she hisses again before continuing. I do not have these nightmares every night, but every time I begin again on the garden level of St. Paul's. The first night, we only made it to the top of the stairs, the entrance of the maze. Each time I have the dream, she leads me a little further. Always I know when the dream is going to end. She suddenly stops, and rather than standing profile, she turns to face me head on. Suddenly, her proportions become distorted, and she's no longer a pale Monica, but a creature whose arms and legs are too long for her body. Her fingers become tentacles, her jaw stretches too low for her face, and her pale eyes become black. In a deafeningly loud whisper, she screeches, Don't tell! Exactly what it is I'm not supposed to be telling, I have no idea. I've told this is. I've told this exact story to many people, and nothing bad has come of it. Somehow, I feel that there is a secret I have been yet to be shown. Something lies at the end of that labyrinth, something that, if social media rumors hold true, has recently caused Amanda to also take her own life. I have one clue to the meaning of these dreams. My older sister does missionary work across the world. Upon hearing of these dreams, she recounted a tale she once heard from a woman in rural China of a curse that, in English, essentially translates to the taboo. According to my sister, it is a curse to ensure a secret remains hidden from the world. If a person comes too close to discovering a secret protected by the taboo, they become infected. If the infected person says a key word or phrase relating to the secret, they are overtaken by a demon or spirit that causes their death. What did Monica see that night that caused her to scream out loud enough for me to hear her two floors below? What did Amanda and I see that caused us to be infected by the taboo? If, in fact, that is what I'm currently experiencing. There were other things, other things in that rec room at St. Paul's that night, things which I have omitted from this tale on suspicion that they could relate to the curse. Were those things important? I fear I will never know until the dream has finished. It's coming nearer, the end of that maze. Now that Amanda has passed, I can feel it. The nightmares are getting more frequent, and I've begun to wake up screaming. That's a good story. It's a fucked up story. The taboo. <gasps> like full, I mean, I mean, full body up, chills. But that's a great like horror tale. I know. I know. And I didn't have like the, the guts to look up the taboo, like what this curse could be mm-hmm. uh, in this Chinese folklore. Because I was like, oh, that's a damn thing. If he wants to investigate that, <laughs> have at it, buddy. You can Whew. sit in the dark and put on your spoopy music and dig around the interwebs. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's a that's a creepy. Yeah, I'm 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 really liking this episode for I like a heavy on the heavy on the creeps. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I mean, sometimes I, I also love the uh, episodes where we do stories that are more about like, um, oh, what do we, we haven't talked about this in a, in a little bit, a few weeks, but like, um, they're not scary, but they just kind of substantiate the possibility of things being out there. Oh, yeah, It's yeah, like, yeah. you know, lots of witnesses. It's not necessarily like yeah, malevolent or anything, but it just seems yeah. like, um, uh, you know, some some are going to seem naturally just more realistic than others. Right. Well, sometimes they're just like almost like fact finding. Yeah. For a yeah. lack of better terms where mm-hmm. it's like. Well, this happened to these six people. Right. They all right. saw it, you know, and and nothing 
maybe nothing terrible happened, mm-hmm. but man, it feels like a body of evidence. Yeah, it, it makes all the other stories seem more possible. Absolutely. And then we have some that are, you know, like more scary, uh, less traditional scary uh-huh. as far as like alien abductions, which I know scare you, but not necessarily everybody. Uh, mysterious disappearances. And I like all of that. I hate the mysterious disappearances. Mm-hmm. Ooh. But but this is um, a very fun, I think, like traditional horror. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a good choice for a Halloween episode. Thank you. These all feel like so far. So far, the, the three stories, to me, all feel like they could be horror movies or parts of horror mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. in the best way. Yeah, this story, I'm... The author asked to remain anonymous and mm-hmm. and as such, but I just keep thinking, like, are you okay? And I mean, because it almost That's intense. It feels like it's the dream, <sighs> the dream is what you have to fear. Mm-hmm. So do you become some crazy insomniac? My God, or or sedate yourself to some kind of deeper slumber where maybe you wouldn't dream or remember Ooh. your dreams. I don't know. I don't know, but that doesn't mean that you're not dreaming. It just means mm-hmm. that you don't recall it. But I mean, I say go for the weed gummies. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Knock yourself out. Oh, sometimes I feel guilty with, I was just thinking about like, oh, little kids listen to this and I'm all like cussing it up, talking about drugs. Don't I, feel guilty. I, I don't. But I Kids, have, don't do drugs until you're older, then do them responsibly. I mean, that is what how we're raising our kids. <laughs> so there's that. Listen, drugs are bad a lot of the time. Sometimes, sometimes they're, they're super, super fun. <laughs> Your parents will edit this part for you. <laughs> <laughs> the right uh, setting, the right people, you get the right drugs. Anyway. Anyways. You yeah. can talk about that on, in stand-up. Okay. Okay. Now, I do have just a very little story because, like I said, I knew that your your stories were longer, juicier. Yeah. You okay over there? Yeah, I thought my seat was sliding out from the back. It's I'm not. Like, that's, that's weird. I felt that earlier, too. I think it's just now. It's just the way I... Yeah. Okay. Fine. All right. Um, all right. Well, I just thought that this would be a... a f- I mean, it is scary. But just a brief little post-trick-or-treating story. Uh, okay. Okay. So, you can unclench, mm-hmm. <laughs> take mm-hmm. a deep breath, and here we go. My younger sister, 11 at the time of this story, is scared of everything. Darkness, scary movies, windows at nighttime, her own shadow, and you name it, she's scared of it. We often got in trouble for telling her spooky stories to get a reaction out of her. (laughs) That night, trick-or-treating was over. We had just come in from a bonfire with friends and family to get ready for bed. Sleeping in the living room where the TV was was always a fun reward that we got to do on the weekends when growing up. My sister always refused the couch closest to the window because it freaked her out, so I let her sleep on the opposite side of the living room. Both of the couches had a direct view into our dining room where a small glass chandelier hung uh, over the table. We were still on somewhat of a sugar high, so we watched cartoons and talked quietly for about an hour until we both grew quiet. As I lay there watching whatever show was lighting up the living room, I caught a glimpse of something out of the corner of my eye in the dining room. I thought, at first, the TV light was reflecting in the chandelier. I turned my head to look, and there was a man, one foot in the chair, the other on the table, messing with the chandelier. Based on the fact that I could see straight through his torso, I knew instantly he wasn't actually there. He fidgeted with the chandelier for a moment, and then he was gone. I glanced at my sister on the other couch, where she laid facing straight up at the ceiling. I remember in the moment I thought she'd already fallen asleep. I rolled over, covered myself all the way, and squeezed my eyes shut. Eventually, I fell asleep. The next morning, the daylight outside felt like a safety blanket, and honestly, I thought maybe I'd dreamt seeing the man. At breakfast, I told my sister that I had seen something spooky. My mom turned the corner, ready to reprimand me for trying to scare her again, when my sister quietly said, 
I saw him too. He was playing with the light over the table. I was too scared to move, so I just stared at the ceiling until I fell asleep. Instant goosebumps. My jaw felt like it might hit the floor. I couldn't force myself to continue to talk about it, and we never did discuss it again. That doesn't mean the man and others didn't continue to appear to us. I could tell you spooky stories for days. Yeek. I know. Just a quick, yeah, yeah, I like those little quick ones sometimes. That is, um, what a, what a crazy thing. I mean, and the man didn't do anything to her. Right. Nothing, so like, like that, um, that is kind of, I, I guess, maybe the ideal paranormal experience I would want to have. Yeah, best case scenario. Mm-hmm, where it's very like, I mean, yeah, I had that, like a little faucet thing and it weirded me out, but I want something like, you're seeing an apparition, a figure, mm-hmm. a clear, like, that's a dude mm-hmm. that I'm seeing through, that there's no trick of, you know, like, this isn't right. CGI, this isn't a movie, this is in my fucking house. Yeah. And then doesn't hurt anybody, doesn't do anything, doesn't bother anyone. No, and, it, you know, he's like a ghost that cares about, yeah. you know, it, it's, trying, I'm sure it's a reflection of who fixed, he was he's in life. He's the chandelier, he wants everything to be right. Yeah, that'll probably be me. I'll be going <laughs> right. around the house like, God damn it, Dan, I told mm-hmm. you this belongs over here. I would love a, a ghost that, like... Replace light bulbs. Or <laughs> <laughs> just like dusted, hard to reach places. Oh, man. Like Casper. Oh. Yeah, Casper the Friendly Ghost. That'd be so great. That'd be great. What was her name? Nina? Christina Ricci. Oh, yeah. From the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I almost said mm-hmm. Nina Ricci, who is a fashion designer. I don't know who Nina Ricci is. Um, actually, she might be a character from a TV show. Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, man. I wanted to be Christina Ricci. I loved her so much. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like a little goth face I went through. Okay. You know, okay. you get it. You get it. I think my version of that, I mean, it wouldn't have been who I wanted to be, but my version of like the cool goth girl was from um, just being a little older, Beetlejuice. Uh, um, oh, my God. Uh, Winona Ryder. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, her yeah. goth character. She had a goth character in that one. She played a goth kid. She was great for so long until she went crazy. Do you remember when she got arrested for stealing underwear? Almost, it made me like her more. Of course it did. You creep. She was like, she wasn't doing it because she didn't. She didn't. She just liked to. I don't know. She's she got, a little kle- got a little klepto for a little bit. Yeah, she's, she's a hot mess, and I love it. All right. Well, <laughs> wonder how long this is going to last. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not going to be. A I'm klepto. not dating her. I can I can enjoy a hot mess from a distance. Oh, I mean, I love a good mess from a distance. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love other people's and I, shit. And and I want her to, you know, and I don't say that like uh, like I want it to keep being a mess. I want her to be happy. Right, but, right, but right. We're not like if, wishing ill no, upon her. If she's got she mental seems, illness, no, I hope she uh-uh. gets help, blah, hope she gets blah, help. blah. But if every once in a while she uh, gets a little sticky fingers, all right. She likes to live a little on the edge. Ah. Fair enough. I wonder if it's a thing. I mean, I never like followed it after that. So I don't know where she's at. I don't know which. Oh, mm-hmm. wait. She's in Stranger Things, so she she's must, great. She must be somewhat pulled back together. Maybe, she, ta- to maybe she takes something off the set every once in a while. Let her do it. She's fucking Winona Ryder. Well, I was just gonna say, I kind of think, like, in some regard, I wonder if when you are that famous and mm-hmm. that rich, if you're like, well, I'm, I'm invisible. I can do mm-hmm. anything I want. So I don't know. Are you doing it because you're like, well, this is illegal. So like, I should technically be prosecuted for it. So I'm gonna try it, and let's see, like, what happens. I don't know. Could be a ge- uh, genuine mental illness thing. I mean, who knows. I feel like I have lipstick across my face. No, you know, all I know is that if I was working on set with Wynonna Ryder uh-huh. and she stole my underwear, mm-hmm. clean or dirty, oh god, I'd be okay with it. You are so fucked up. <laughs> I, I take it as a compliment. Uh, immediately, the mm-hmm. costumer in me is like, "God damn it, where's that underwear?" Because mm-hmm. having Wynonna, worked on set, Wynonna Ryder sniffing it. Uh, no, you I've have taken, to. Like, I've taken it further now. You have to like wash it, and then the next day they're like, hey, where's my fucking underwear? And then I have to be like, Dan stole it. If I walked in on one Nona Ryder stiff in my underwear. That's disgusting. Would you stop? One of the greatest moments of my life. That's so fucking gross. <laughs> this is not Is We Dumb. 
Oh. You are on the wrong <laughs> show, my friend. You and Joe can do a would you rather about like underwear sniffing okay. for days. All right. I do not want to be a part of that. It is disgusting. <laughs> You're grossing me out. <laughs> I hate you right now. Okay. This is almost as bad as daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. Oh, I did not. I'm still tormented by it. <laughs> okay. Do you want to do some shout outs? I do. I want to change subjects quickly. Okay. okay. So, uh, Shout outs to the Annabelles that help us uh, keep the show going and make donations every month. I'd like to thank Sebastian Downs, Graham Merrill, David Keel, Jason Dalby, Leonard Patino, Sabrina Marie, Renee and Ernie, Elizabeth Acevedo, Dallas Miller, Danielle Rodriguez, Bridget Farrer, Bryson King, Katie Selner, Gemma Bullman, Chanel Thomas, Talon Haywood, Alex Garcia, David Hisner, Landon Weinberg, Don Evans, Rebecca Ness, Yamma Yamma, wait, wait, <laughs> Yam Yam Yamma Yam. That's it. Yam Yamma Yam. Yam Yam Yamma Yam. Seven, no. I don't, I feel like I wrote this down. Mm-mm. I wrote seven beavers, but I feel like <laughs> I, I wrote this down. Uh, I think I had a typo. I believe it's Stephen Beavers, Rescinda Miller, and <laughs> And Sam L. Oh, oh, no, Seven Beavers. Seven Beavers. <laughs> That's not right. Seven Beavers. <laughs> I'm going to fix that in the next episode. We're recording two today. I will fix that. I'm so sorry. Seven Beavers sounds like a track name. <laughs> sounds like, like the name of a single from an artist that it's the first name I'm going to shout out. Oh, I thought you were going to say from the artist. No. Yam, 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 yam. No, Captain Barndor. <laughs> Captain Barndor uh, sounds like an awesome like bluegrass band. <laughs> and Seven Beavers is one of the tracks of their new album. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> shout out to Captain Barndor, Jared Carino, uh, Miranda Hoyle, Miguel Nagoa, Christy T, Edward Kozinski, Randall Tittle, Terry J in Ohio, Zach M, Brianna Daigle, Modern Viking, uh, Rochelle Johnston, Joe Troutman, Miranda Allison, Olivia and Andrew, Christina Wiggin, Taylor uh, Bonnesteel, yeah, Bonnesteel. Yeah, Taylor Bonasiel. Thank you for the pronunciation guide, Taylor. Uh, Kelly Cohn, Larry Bonishan, Heather Wheel, Faye McDonald, Austin Selma, Matthew Carl, Angela Owens, and Karen Treadway. Perfection. And I have a few spooby shout-outs. Get to spoopin'. Okay. To Nate from Nathan, happy belated birthday. To Leah from CJ, love you. To Jewel from Janelle, also a happy belated birthday. To Brittany from, from Frankie, happy birthday. And to Meowlix, a.k.a. Alex. To Danielle, happy birthday. Uh, and that is our show. Our first of two Halloween kind of themed uh, Tuesday night shows for this October. <laughs> Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you to Logan Keith and Liz Hernandez for their work on social media. And to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Thank you to book editor Drew Atana for helping formatting the listener stories each week. Thank you to producer Sophie Evans for finding today's first story. And producer Sarah Finch for finding the second. Uh, if you don't want ad-free episodes, monthly bonus episodes, invites... Uh, oh, wait. If you do... Wait, if you do want, there we go. I, I, I edited it and I didn't uh, check it close enough. I changed it around. If, if, you, don't if you don't want, want it. to be here, you uh, can leave now. If you do want 
There we go. Ad-free episodes, monthly bonus episodes, invites to This Looks Awesome horror movie watch parties with Lindsay and I to help donate to our charities and more. Please check out our Patreon. One last thank you to Winona Ryder just because. <laughs> Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Someone get this to Winona ASAP. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within, scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.